This is the Leeds Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Fraser. I'm a business sounding board. Think somewhere between a business coach and a business mentor. I help business owners not to be lonely at the top. The Leeds Business Podcast will be taking a two-week break after this week's episode. But before we do take that break, have you ever had a drink or something to eat in Leeds at Banyan, Manahatta, or The Box? If you have, you'll want to hear from the man behind them all, Martin Wollstonecroft. Martin tells us how he remortgaged his house and put everything on the line to launch his first bar in Headingley. Why and how he streamlined 10 different bars into three distinct complementary brands. The downs and then the ups of COVID and how he deals with the issues arising from owning 19 bars now, stretching from Newcastle to Birmingham. He also explains to us in four very simple steps how you can ensure that your business will be a success. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leedsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into what is a really engaging and entertaining interview. If you're in Leeds and you've ever been to The Box, Banyan or Manahatta, today I'm talking to the man behind all of them, Martin Wollstonecroft. Hi, Martin. Hi, Phil. Now, you started your career in, in Whitbread. You spent uh, quite a bit of time there. What was the trigger to leave there and start your own bars? Ooh, cranky. Um, well, it's something I've always fancied doing. And um, I think that working for a big corporate company was fantastic grounding, great training and support. But um, underneath, you know, I wanted to do something for myself. I was a very fast-paced individual and wanted to make things happen. And I think that when you're working with a, a big organisation, sometimes it can take a long time to, for things to happen and work through. And I like to see the results of my uh, work. So that was a reason, really, just uh, probably in, in, a, in a belief that I wanted to do something different for myself. Okay. Where, where do you think that came from? Parents or people around you? or That's a good question. Well, my parents, um, you know, my mum was a teacher. My dad was a, worked for industrial chemicals, so they didn't have their own business. So I've always been quite a competitive person, so... You know, I don't think it came from my parents being entrepreneurs or different, but probably just a hunger and probably something from within, really. Okay, okay. So just talk us through the nuts and bolts of how you actually did that. So, you know, there's a lot of people listening who've probably got good jobs and are thinking, oh, I'd love to do something on my own. How did, you know, talk us through that bit. Don't stay where you are. <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. Uh, yeah, well, I think that I always fancied doing something by myself, and um, I knew I could do could do it, but it was taking that initial leap, and you got to be very, very brave. And our first bar that we opened was in um, in Headingley, called the Ark, and we opened it in two thousand. So we've been going for twenty three years now. So it was about being brave. Um, I got a bit of a hunch of an idea that there was a, a possibility of opening a bar in Headingley because um, to open a bar you need planning permission, you need licensing to sell alcohol and that's always been very restrictive in Headingley and I knew it was a strong market because I'd operated there before um, and I knew I could do something very special so I 
I went to met the guy who, who owned the land and said, you know, will you will you rent this piece of land for myself and I want to set up my own bar? And he said, no, go away. Um, I've got the big corporate guys lined up for this. I'm just really um, a property business. And I went away and sulked for a few weeks and I thought, well, hmm, I'm going to go again. So I phoned him back and I said, you know, what about setting up a joint venture? And I didn't really know what a joint venture was at the time or what it looked like. And But we had a coffee, a couple of beers, a couple more beers and probably over a few more beers and a curry. We we talked through the nuts and bolts of a deal, really. So that's how it all started in terms of probably having a bit of a an eye on an opportunity, um, having the bottle to go and knock on somebody's door and say, you know, what about this? And then when you get that door slammed in your face, having the courage to go back and say, can we have another chat, please? So really, probably the lessons there really are is going for an eye, an eye opportunity, getting that door slammed in your face, not accepting it, and willing to go back again and let's have a look at different options, how this can work. And that's how it all started. And having as well the support from my wife and family because we remortgaged uh, my house. We put in, you know, £200,000 over 20-odd years ago, which is a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money then, but a lot of money then. But also having the the courage and conviction and to put your your life on the line, your house on the line, and great support from family saying, well, if it fails, we'll start all over again. We've done it before, we'll do it. So you need your support of network of people around you to support you. And luckily, my wife was on board that, you know, we gambled everything to, to put into the business. Um, so we could take out a loan to put it into the business. So that's really how it all started, Phil. Right. That's that's a. I often talk to clients about you know JFDI, just go and do it. But actually, that's that you're putting everything on the line when you launch this. Well, you say everything, but you know, putting a house on the line, and yeah, you know, and whether that's everything or not, you know, in terms of it's material, isn't it? Really, so. You know, you, you downscale and we'd have to start off renting and set everything up again. But right. at least, um, yeah, like I said, I think what is interesting, like you said, there, is uh, I spend a lot of time meeting people who want to set up their own businesses. And it always comes down to that million-dollar question. I look them in their eyes and say, you know, so how much money are you wanting to put in? And not many people want to put anything in. And that's the difference between having... The ability to set up by yourself in your own business and be masters of your own destiny, have the risks all the way along the line, keep putting money in when businesses don't take off as you want, and being an employee of someone else. So if you if you want to set up your own business and you want to be part of that and have the upside further down the line, you've got to really look in that mirror and say, how much do I want to put in here? How much can I afford to lose? And what happens if I do lose it? Right. Uh, I mean, that's that. They they are the key questions, aren't they? I mean, did you did you have a, a sort of a, a fully formed plan or idea as to what you were what you were going to do, or was it just like I've got half a half baked idea? I'll sell it to you. What you know, sell in in the, in the sort of general concept. Let's go for it. Or was it sort of a really fully formed thing in your head? Now, we had to do a, a thorough business plan to get um, lending. Um, at the time, we got a loan from Yorkshire Bank um, to set up. And so 
we had to go and pitch to the bank. Um, so, you know, we had plans done, we had cash flows, um, and it was a full detailed business plan of exactly what what wanting to do because um, we needed to raise finance to enable us to to do what we're doing. And the size of the bar we opened for our first bar was was huge. You know, it was a eight thousand square foot building. You know, I think then it's probably about eight hundred thousand pounds to to open. And so, you know, it was a it was a, we weren't just playing about setting up a little. You know, a little small cafe bar with, you know, a couple of tables and chairs. It, it was a, it was quite a beast, really. Yeah. And how, how did that feel the day, you know, the day you pulled the first pint in that, in that new venture? Yeah, I was. I've always got my feet on the ground, really. And I remember that uh, my business partner on the night before we opened, we were having a few drinks on the balcony, and he looked at me and said, uh, "Sam, what do you think we're going to do in the first week, Martin?" <laughs> and I looked at him and says. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, we're still doing it now. We're up, we're opening up and down the country. And you can put the best business plans together to try and understand, you know, what the sales are going to be and what's, uh, what's the income going to be like and what's the interest. But at the end of the day, it's still a big risk. And um, I don't know, I, I always keep my feet on the ground. Uh, you can't get carried away with any openings. And, you know, they're very exciting because... You know, you can work in working on schemes to open for two years or a year's time. And so when it comes to open, you know, you're not there yet. You've got to still keep working at it a year, two years, three years afterwards to to repay what you've put into it to open. So I think the, you know, the big lesson I've learned is just keep your feet on the ground. Don't get carried away because, you know, it can be great, but then there's soon going to be some uh, low points along the road. Yeah, yeah. And now obviously that, you know, where we are now, what is it, 19 bars in three towns, that was a success. At what point did you go, right, okay, we'll open another one? Or was that always part of the plan? No, it wasn't really. It was just to open one, the first one, never really looked beyond that. And then we opened um, the second one, the Boxing Headingley, the year afterwards in 2001. Then we opened a bar restaurant called Trio. And they're all great successes. And... Then we started looking around and then we looked at other suburbs like Chapel Allerton, Round Hay. Then we moved out to Harrogate, York, and and then we started looking further afield. I think we went to Manchester then. And now we go from next week, we're opening Nottingham. And we go down to, we've got two sites in Birmingham. And then we're opening a second in Newcastle in three weeks' time. So we go from Birmingham in the south up to Newcastle. And... It probably wasn't up until probably eight years ago we started really tightening up our business plan and saying, how can this become more of a a professional, multi-site retail business to roll out, which is a lot more professional? Um, because up until, yeah, our first 10 bars were all 10 individual bars with different names. So trying to run that was just an absolute minefield with, different names, different menus, different offerings, different personalities. And so that was a challenge. So as we grew, we had to become a lot more smarter. We had to streamline the business. And I think in terms of growing businesses, you're growing confidence and businesses, business growth is all about confidence and momentum. And 
I think there's a fine line as well, especially in hospitality. It's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And, you know, we've been doing it for 23 years. So our 24th year. And I think hopefully we've got that right. And there's a fine line, you know, between people getting it too arrogant and say we're going to open 10 next year or 15 next year. We've seen that. Yeah, you read about it all the time in the press. And so for ourselves, it's just slow and steady, keep it moving. And, you know, we'll be opening four this year, but that's within our skill set and our confidence without stretching ourselves too far. Right. I mean, you, you know, we can get into the brand question. You said you had sort of eight, nine, ten different brands. Did you Were you just picking a name for each one and then going with it? I mean, at what point did you then go, or what was the trigger that made you think, right, we've got to sort of get this down into three recognisable brands and brand offerings? Probably about ten after ten sites because what we're doing is, is I mean, it was fun then. We were opening bars and, you know, part of that being, you know, an entrepreneurial business is opening bars um, designing them, putting concepts together, um, putting the product mix together, designing it, coming up with a name, making it different. And But you're spending all your time in different promotions meetings, menus meetings, and you start really, you know, you go from one bar menu meeting or promotion meeting, and I say, oh, yeah, we're talking about the same things here. And, you know, so, and we just had to start working smarter. And so after about 10 as, as well is that we had to start operating more of a, a smarter, efficient business because we just spent too many times discussing all individual, you know, different menus and different product portfolios. And we just thought, well, you know, we're talking about the same things here. Let's just bring it together. And also... We were speaking to various people about rolling out, and the advice I was getting is that to roll out investment people, whoever it is, they like simple. You know, they, they like a Pizza Express model that they can put into their machine and say, right, we can do 50 of these in a year, and we know where they're going to be. We know the margins are going to be 75%. We know the wages are going to be 25%. It's dead easy to get that. They don't like complexity. They like they like to understand facts and figures and consistency. And so it was an eye on one how we can operate a business a lot more smarter, a lot more efficiently, um, a lot more professionally, um, but also have an eye on gaining investment to grow and take the business on a journey. Right, got you, got you. And just just for our listeners. How do you create a brand for a, a, a bar? How does that – you just sit in a meeting and throw ideas around or do you copy what somebody else has done? Or How, how would you do that? You know, I'm going to work in a bar, blank piece of paper. How do you do that? It's just as people go on holiday and sit wherever you are and, you know, you'll see great ideas and you'll get great innovation and you think, you know, I'd love to do this. And I think Sir Terence Conran wrote a book. And he said, you know, 99.9% .9 of people in the world have thought about opening up their own bar, restaurant, pub, cafe, etc. And so everyone must have sat in a place, whether it's in a, a coffee shop and, you know, or a, a, 
a cafe or sat in a, a great bar looking over the sea in Ibiza or something and thought, oh, I'd love to do this. Because it all looks easy and very simple. How hard can this be? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> simple business. So in terms of, to answer your question, it's taking that inspiration wherever that may come from, whether it is, you know, on from a holiday experience or watching a program on television or a passion for cooking or a passion for making drinks yourself and just bringing it together, whether you are a an interior design-based interior design person or you're a a drinks geek or you're a chef at heart, whatever is your focus and your passion that you will design a bar, restaurant or cafe or hotel after what your passion is really. And it goes from there. So, and so is it about the food? Is it about the drink? Is it about the environment? Is it about the music? So, it's got to start with what's your passion and then building it out from there. So what's your passion? Ooh, I like people to be happy and having a great time. Um, and I would say I've got a bit of a sixth sense for, for bars. Uh, my passion is great bars and pubs. Um, we try doing restaurants and to be honest, I'm not, I'm not a patient person for restaurants. It's, it's too hard work for the returns and too complicated. Um, I like pubs and bars and putting together a great design team of people to serve drink and food in a fantastic environment that brings a smile to people's faces. That's what I'm about. Sounds good. Sounds good. So when you did the, when you did the reshuffle and, and decided to, to hone down to three brands, why did you pick Box, Manahata and Banyan as your three brands? They're three very different brands, um, but also they can complement each other. Um, so Box is a, is a high-quality sports bar. Um, Banyan is a fantastic bar that's open, serving breakfast through to late at night, um, food and drink, a lot more food-orientated. And Manahata is a is a high quality, um, high energy cocktail bar, and so they are three. They operate in three distinctly different markets, but also can complement each other and operate as a cluster, like we've done in cities such as Leeds and Manchester very well. Okay, so they're they're different but complementary at the same time. Yeah, for different experiences, because the same consumer and customer will use them at different times for different experiences. Before we go on, and I want to talk about COVID, because obviously that's a little bit of bump in the road for, for bars. Um, before I do, I want to talk to everybody about the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. The Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal, on my side of the deal, I bring you inspirational, motivational, and fascinating business owners like Martin. Your side of the deal, listener, has two parts to it. Part number one, I want you to share this podcast with one person you think will get benefit from it. Part number two, I want you to write a review, either at Apple Podcasts on the app, at podchaser.com, or at Spotify, give us a thumbs up. If you're watching on YouTube, you can review this episode specifically. So, Martin, does that sound like a fair deal? Fair deal, Phil. So, 
everything's going well. You've uh, you've decided you're going to go down the three brand route. I assume everything's going fine. Talk to us about COVID. Oh shit, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I mean, no one saw that coming. That's never been, you know, it's never happened before, has it? You know, uh, three line whip that we've got to all lock ourselves away and close down your businesses, and yeah, it was just frustrating, confusing. It was a farce, really, wasn't it? And you know, we were trying to understand. I mean, right from the start, that to try and operate through with the different measures in place. It was just very, very poor communication. Um, the government would come out with conditions, let's say, of how to operate, but there's no detail to it. And then you'd speak to other operators, they didn't have a bloody clue. And then I was on various working parties with council officials, police representatives, we're all looking at each other and, you know, we're all asking each other, well, what do you know? And um, so there was some great partnership working going on behind the scenes to try and support each other through it. But, I mean, it really was blind leading the blind and uh, very difficult and challenging. And because we had to close down, we had to operate with different measures in place, um but then there's some customers who would respect that, and then there's some other customers who just did not care. And so, for instance, I think that Leeds was shut down in terms of one of the tier systems, but York and Harrogate was open. So there was some very strong hand tactics in those areas because customers from outside of York and Harrogate were going there. <laughs> Police would come into some of those places and they'd be asking customers for proof of where they lived. You know, you look back and you think, oh, this is, you know, how did that happen? And, you know, there was like full IVs marching around and, you know, it's like something out of the what happened in the war. So, yeah, challenging. And then in terms of getting through it with, you know, financially, because we tried to ensure that, yeah, we looked after all our team very well. Um, we looked after all our supplying partners well um, because we wanted to make sure that when we could reopen, that we're in a position that we could reopen with as much support as we could do because we need our supplies coming in from our suppliers. We need our team to jump back in and get stuck in and start serving in whatever kind of environment that was. Crikey, you ought to wear masks as well, wouldn't it? I mean, can Just crazy thinking about... <laughs> Can you imagine now going to a pub bar restaurant and seeing everyone walking about in pubs and bars and restaurants with masks on? And then there was that two metres between each table and uh, you couldn't go in and then you couldn't... Was it rule of six or you and your household only? So... Yeah, crazy. All the way through that. The amount of... I mean, it was stressful because we had to keep planning, planning, planning how we can do it, the measures we put in place. Also, the amount of money we spent on screens and barriers and protective, you know, equipment for our teams and customers. Bloody ridiculous when you look back at it. So, yeah, very, very frustrating. Um... 
uh, and furlough worked well for our teams. And, yeah, that was great. We took out a big loan to get through it, which was great at the time because interest rates were low. But now, you know, interest rates are up at, what, 5.25? So in terms of that's totally different now. You know, so it's all well and good, the government handing out those loans that need repaying. But if you look at the interest rates now we're repaying at, I mean, that's going to take a lot of... Uh, businesses down that is having to repay those loans so yeah very very tough very stressful um we came through it very well we were very entrepreneurial all the way through um covid we really worked within the the guidelines to keep us operating as best we could do all the way through it working within the guidelines and just making it work in terms of you know credit card payments only, online apps. We had some of our bars that 95% of transaction was via the app. Um, so, yeah, we just worked our way through it. And then the great thing is once we're allowed to reopen, I think there's a great appetite by customers who wanted to come out who'd missed just going to pubs, bars and restaurants. And so we had a great COVID bounce. So sales and business was good, but we were still burning a lot of costs in terms of because as well the amount of labor we had to spend in terms of for lower capacity we had to have two or three people you know meeting customers at the door explaining the rules the regulations where they could sit how it could operate and because everything was table service as well at the time one of the guidelines so yes very very difficult but we got through it and I don't know if we're all better people for it because I think the other thing is is there was quite a lot of, not just our teams, but public was quite happy sitting at home on 80% furlough and not having to go to work. And, you know, suddenly when people have to start getting back to work, especially in a, a bar environment where, you know, these people had used to having their weekends off and then they have to come back and start working weekends and late at night and things like that. So... I think that was tough. I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of things there, sort of um, payment or, or purchasing via the app and, and obviously going digital and, and credit cards only. Do you, think they, do you think they would have come in anyway or do you think they've just been forced on us by what happened with COVID? And I assume it's good for you. I think it give um, businesses like ourselves an opportunity to take some time out, look at the businesses and say what changes can we make now that are coming down the track that we can put some thought process and strategy in to implement now? Um, so it gives us a head, head space to do that because it was a bit like stop the clock, take some time out, you know, how can we do this? Because once you're, you're open, your business as usual, you're just, you're just trucking along. So it really did give us opportunity to look at, you know, how and how businesses can change and probably, Suddenly, we were, you know, every call I was getting, a, every day I was getting a call from a different app company who was trying to sell me a different kind of, you know, payment ordering device. So, yeah, I think it's something that's definitely coming down the track. And, you know, cash is, you know, even get, some people really like cash, but as a business to operate, you know, it costs you money to buy cash. People don't realize uh, wherever it comes from, it costs you money to bank cash. 
cash is dirty. It's a spreader of disease. And also is, you know, there's a chance of cash going missing. You've got a, it's time, a lot of labor involved in terms of counting cash, banking cash, handling cash. So, you know, in terms of the more that it moves away from cash, in terms of having to handle that, you know, the better it's slower as well in a busy pub bar environment. You know, and you'll see now is that, you know, it's very fast that you buy a couple of pints and you just tap with your card on a, a machine and it's job done, isn't it? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that actually. Yeah, they're supposed to t- just just that time element to give it to the person behind the bar, change it, give you it back. I suppose you extrapolate that across 19 bars. That's a lot of time, isn't it? Yeah, and how many times that people have queued up at a pub and bar and, you know, someone's run out of change in the till and they've got to shout at their manager saying, have you got any more two peas? <laughs> so you, you, you talked about, you know, we're now at, is it is, is 19, 19 bars, three towns at the moment? No, three brands. Sorry, three brands, not three towns, sorry. 19 bars, three brands. You're talking now about, um, all the way from Newcastle down to Birmingham. What what issues and problems does that bring? Quite a lot. Culture. Um, the farther you move away from your homeland and where you are as a business operator, and what made you special when you had one place, when you know you're there as the you know the co-founder and entrepreneurial personality that owns it, and you live in your living and breathing it, and to try and get the same kind of values and behaviours into a team that, say, you know, down in Birmingham or up in Newcastle or Manchester is totally different. So you're relying on um, a team of people to deliver the same kind of values and culture um, that you'd hope to deliver when you've got just one place. And that's the challenge of any business and any restaurant. I mean, I'm sure people listening, and you'll know is that, you know, in terms of people talk about a restaurant, oh, it was great when X was there. But when that chef or that personality has moved on, everything changes. Whether it's changed or not, but people say it's changed or not. So it's a challenge of culture. Um, in a, I like to think that to have a great bar and restaurant business and pub business, it's all about delivering a great customer experience, service and standards. So it's ensuring that those are being delivered to the same level of high level of satisfaction and discipline that it is if you just got one that's a couple of miles away from where you live. So again, you're relying on that team and that framework of people to ensure that those are being delivered. And how do you make that happen? How do you make sure that framework's there and that that team are delivering that consistency across hundreds of miles? Recruiting the best people, um, inducting them well, um, so they uh, understand your vision, your values, your culture, and you support them to ensure that they can train their teams the hundreds of miles away and empower them to coach and train their teams to deliver that to the same level, or if not better, than what I did or could have done just sitting at one bar. Um, And it's having the belief in them, the confidence in them, 
that you're investing two million pounds in opening a bar, and there it's down to them to deliver that. Right, right, and that's the risk. That's that, that's a two million pound risk relying on somebody down in Birmingham to make sure they deliver properly. Yeah. <laughs> We don't just throw them out there and let them get on with it and say, right, you know, do or die. You know, um, in terms of, you know, we support them. You know, a great team of people who, you know, we we visit, you know, we do training sessions, coaching, you know, meetings. So it's not like, right, we set it up now, just get on with it. So, you know, we have various structures and frameworks of support in there where we can help ensure that, if you like the brand guidelines, the service standards that that we think are valuable to making a, a great bar experience are being delivered. And so, and that's measured through various um, reports and feedback and mechanisms. So we, we've got a great understanding of what's going on for our teams and our customers um, that we benchmark across other sites. So... Like I said, we're not just saying, right, crack on. See you next year. Every week on the Leeds Business Podcast, we ask our guests to give us a how-to. So, Martin, over to you for your how-to. Setting a business up is is very, very difficult, and a lot of people will have thought, should they do it? And I would say, in terms of setting a business up, I'll take a great inspiration from uh, a Japanese model called Ikigai, which is, I think it's spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. So have a Google of that. And this model is about meaning. And this is very left field, this. And you won't see this in many, many, how to write a business plan or a strategy. But it starts with, do what you love. So do what number one, do what you love. So in terms of do what you're passionate about, what you really love doing. Because there can't be anything worse than thinking about setting up a business that you don't love doing. You've got a real passion because when it gets tough, and it will get tough, you know, you need to really believe in it, passionate about it, and that will help you work through that. So I would say Step one, do what you love. Second thing is, do what the world needs. What What is the gap in the market? Step three, what you can make money from. So all this is just common sense and very, very simple. And then finally, do what you're good at. And the combination of those four attributes will make you decide whether you should set up in terms of your business idea or not. Because you've got to do what you love, like I said, that you're very, very passionate about and you're really interested in that. You've got to do what there's a gap in the market for and what what the world needs because otherwise you won't sell anything, you won't make anything, no one will buy it from you. You've got to do what you can make a good profit out of because if you're not going to get paid for it, 
you know, you might love doing it. You might think there's a market for it. But if you're only making it 2p on each one, it's a waste of bloody time. Absolutely pointless. And then finally is do what you're good at. Which is very, very important because you might love doing something, but you might be crap at it. You might be rubbish. So that combination of all four of those areas will help you understand whether you've got the right idea to set up a business. Do you love doing it? Is there a market there for it? Can you make profit out of it? And are you good at it? You need to tick all those four boxes. And bringing those four boxes together will make you a very successful, happy, rich, and contented person. Very simple there, Phil. That's it. That's dead easy, isn't it? Dead easy. You've got to tick all those four boxes. Because if any of those four boxes or quadrants are missing... Yeah, Let, let's just pick one. In terms of, you know, we'll pick the last one. If you're not good at it, you know, you're going to fail because you're not going to get to market fast enough. Your product will be poor. You'll give a poor service. Yeah. And this is probably the reason why I don't, I don't do high-end restaurants. You know, I don't love being involved with high-end restaurants. I just don't have the patience for it. Um, it's too slow. Um, I don't. I don't think the world needs one. You know, in terms of there's, for me, there's not a massive gap in the market for high-end restaurants, and I don't think you can make that much money out of them. You know, we're not seeing them being rolled out everywhere. Um, maybe if you're a single operator doing it by yourself and you're there seven days a week, seven nights, you might be able to. And I'm certainly not good at it. I just don't have the patience for high-end restaurants. And I think I'd upset more customers <laughs> than, uh, than win them over. I'd probably be a bit like Basil Fawlty, someone like that. But there you go. So that's my how-to on that, that. my idea about if you've got an idea about set up a business, do those four areas. Google uh, Ikigai and just translate it into your own idea. Martin, that's absolutely fantastic advice. I've come across it before. It's very similar to um, the hedgehog theory in Good to Great by, Steve, uh, by Jim Collins, which is something I run my business. It's the same sort of thing. What you're good at, how can you make money, and where's the, where, you know, how can you be best in the market? Um, that is absolutely brilliant advice. And anybody who's thinking about launching a business or actually who currently has a business and do it as a sense check is just, just brilliant. So, Martin, thanks ever so much for that. Um, one last question for you. We ask all our guests to give a shout-out to another Leeds business. So who are you going to give a shout-out to? An interesting one, this, um, because um, I'm going to give a shout-out to a good friend of mine um, called Jamie Peacock, who was captain of Leeds Rhinos and, well, captain of Great Britain Rugby League, played for Leeds Rhinos. And um, because something what he has done is is – is set up a, a coaching, mentoring, and leadership and keynote speaking business. And it's called Building Champions, jamiepeacock.co.uk. And I think that it's very difficult if people have been very, very successful sports people 
and then how can they transition to setting up their own business and make it successful. And he's done a lot of work with our teams, um, coaching them and enhancing their well-being. And I see him going up and down the country and I think that he adds fantastic value. And for someone who can transition from being a great sports person who they get a lot of things handed to them to set up by themselves, um, I've got massive respect for. So that's my shout out. Building champions, jamiepeacock.co.uk. Brilliant. And there will be a link in the show notes to find out all about that. Um, one final, final question for you, Martin. 20 years ago, 25, nearly 25 years ago, you set at one bar. You've now got 19. It's all been a bed of roses all the way through, apart from COVID. So go on. What's been the biggest bump in the road, the biggest problem, the biggest mistake? Where's the, the hardest bit of that journey for you? Okay, that's a low ball. I thought we'd finished. Um, yeah. I mean, COVID really, you know, in terms of very, very difficult, um, tough challenge, frustrating, confusing. Um, and what's difficult is that we couldn't influence that. And so when you've got something happening to you as a business that is being controlled by other factors, that is very, very frustrating because you can't really influence that. Um, probably similar as well is when we opened one of our, our first site in Manchester, um, it was part of a building development and the rest of the building building works around us were meant to get finished and they didn't finish for a long time after us um, opening. So that was frustrating because we weren't taking the sales that we projected to take and it caused a lot of problems financially and it was very stressful. So it's when things happen to you that are outside your control um, it really, really, I find that frustrating that you can't influence. Probably another example at the moment is energy bills. Um, the cost of energy, we've got two sites that our energy is supplied by our landlords and those bills have gone up by individually £12,000 per site per month. So that's £250,000 just totally off bottom line that we can't do anything about and Hopefully it'll come down soon, but that's just so, you know, it's just examples like that that you just find very, very frustrating that through no fault of your own that you've got to take on your chin and work through and, you know, it, we can't influence. So that's a challenge. Great stuff. Martin, thank you very much. You've been an absolutely fascinating guest. Great. Thanks very much for your time, Phil. Really enjoyed that and uh, all the very, very best with your, your podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it interesting, inspiring, and of use. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Thank you. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our fair deal. See you next week. <laughs>